Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Uh, yesterday, we gave you a window into one city that's totally buzzing with gigabit fever, Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, today, we're going to give you a window into the fiber scene across the U.S., with an overview of some interesting trends that are happening within uh, this area of, of using fiber networks to change how people communicate and do business. Uh, Gigabit Nation is here to provide uh, useful information and insights to help communities, companies, and nonprofit organizations get more and better broadband uh, to everywhere it needs to be in America. So giving us a little bit of insight to help us along that path, uh, today's guest is Michael Render, who is the president of RVA LLC, which is a research firm that's done a lot of work on behalf of the Fiber to the Home Council. And uh, Michael delivered his most recent report in September of this year at the Fiber to the Home Council's annual conference. Uh, it's titled, I believe, the, the Market Research View, A Decade of Fiber to the Home. Michael, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Glad, glad, to, glad to be with you. And uh, well, let's jump right in. Why don't we start by getting an overview of uh, your research work? Uh, I know that you've done a lot of research in the into fiber technology trends over the years, but let's give the audience a bigger picture of what's going on with that, or with you, how you've been doing it. Sure. Well, we have um, we were got involved with the Fiber of the Home Council early back in 2002. Um, we saw the uh, the need for research with this uh, budding area of uh, fiber to the home, and uh, uh, was able to were able to get involved with the fiber to the home council, and they saw a need for research to really back up and and uh, verify and uh, the, the the thoughts and claims that people had uh, about fiber. You know, early in that period, there was really a mixed uh, opinion. Some people thought there were no fiber to the home projects in North America, and other people were convinced that there were many more than there were. Uh, so one of our first tasks was to go out and throughout North America and really identify uh, real projects, separate the, separate the ones that were actually uh, hybrid fiber coax and so forth, and really find the true fiber to the home projects. There weren't that many, but the you know coming up with a real solid list was uh, one of our first task for the council and and one that they were able to leverage then with uh, going to Congress and so forth and talking about where where this activity was actually occurring. Mm-hmm. So in your um, you know pursuit of all these different uh, projects and so forth, what kinds of trends say have you seen developing over the last three or four years? Sure. Well, we do a couple of different studies for the council. One is a, a semi-annual study of providers actually uh, talking to the different people deploying fiber to the home throughout the country and tracking the trends, tracking the total number of homes passed, homes connected, homes marketed uh, for for these groups, uh, for, for the council. And then also, you know, other trends within that, what kind of architectures are being used, to take rates, and so forth. The second study we do is a consumer study 
with uh, uh, actual end users of, of fiber to see what they're doing with fiber, why they got, to, why they purchased fiber in the first place, what they would like to see it do in the future, you know, what their satisfaction is, take rates, and so forth. But in terms of uh, the provider trends, uh, I think the the thing that we have continued to see is continued growth of of fiber to the home. We um, we peaked in about 2008 for the short term in terms of the number of new homes passed, as you know Verizon was at its peak uh, period of adding new background infrastructure. But uh, since that point, we've continued to grow the the number of smaller providers, and, and there are many in the U.S. continues to grow, and and uh, so we've seen homes pass continue to grow down a little bit last year and then back up again this year with the impact of the stimulus funds. So mm-hmm. things have, um, you know, really continued to, to go forward. And, and Homes Connected continues to increase. The take rates overall continue to go up. So, mm-hmm. so looking <clears throat> specifically at um, this latest research, uh, which I gathered looking through the, the presentation that it, it takes a look, obviously, specifically at, at the most recent stuff, but it also gave a, gave a little bit of a historical perspective of fibers uh, over the last 10 years. Is that the correct right. uh, summary? That's correct. Uh, this uh, particular presentation was uh, at, at the time frame of the 10-year anniversary of the Fiber to the Home Council started in 2001. So it was really a look back uh, at where the industry has come in those 10 years as well as of course where where it is currently and uh, it was quite interesting that uh, you know back in 2001 there was there was uh, really a, a fairly small group of people that were even aware of fiber to the home and the group that was aware uh, you know they were divided into two camps you know true believers and then a number of people that were convinced that that fiber to the home was was an anomaly and it really didn't have a, a real purpose or place. It, you know that much bandwidth would never be needed and and so forth. And and of course the 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 number of projects at that point was very small. So um, we've really seen a a, a huge increase in um, in the both the attitudes and and the actual deployment of fiber since that point. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I think uh, one of the one of the early points in the in the presentation that I looked at uh, was people asking the question, "Well, who needs uh, who who needs who needs fiber?" It was like uh, putting you know some massive water main to every right. home in in the U.S. I mean, have have attitudes changed much? Because today we still hear people now, you know, why do we need a gigabit? So I mean, they sort of have to right. stop asking why we need fiber, kind of. But then at the same time, it's like, well, why do we need a gigabit? Why do we need that much speed? Who's going to use that much speed? Is that attitude still around? That, a lot? that, that attitude is really still there. It's not quite as pronounced, but um, it's just that the, uh, the 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 megabit cited has changed. You know, I I remember the first um, first such debate at at a at a forum that was uh, a telecom industry uh, conference in general and it was kind of a turned out to be kind of a debate between a couple of people that understood fiber to the home and a couple of people that didn't and uh you know the the theory from the other side was 
you know, seven megabits, which was the standard of uh, the the fiber to the home technology at that point, was about seven megabits. And you know, the the, the talk was, well, you know, in our lifetime, we'll never need seven megabits. You know, why would we ever need that? And of course, that has continued to uh, to increase. Uh, you know, then the talk was, well, we'll never need. Uh, We'll never need 50 megabits. We'll never need 100 megabits. We'll never need a gigabit. Would probably be the the current talk. But you know, it's you know most people in the know recognize that when there is capacity, people will figure out ways to use it. And the same arguments were made about you know other things. Why would you need any more computing power than 124k and you know so forth? And and obviously you know things. There, there are things that we never dream of that come up to use that that capacity, and um, so people are starting to get that. But there are still, as you mentioned, many people who say, you know, why would you ever need a gigabit? And uh, and so the argument is still certainly still out there. Mm-hmm. So now for this last uh, report, uh, the one in September, who who was surveyed and. Um, what uh, what kinds of major uh, findings did you discover with this year's report? Uh, in terms of the provider uh, report, we we uh, do we used to do a, a really a, almost a total census of everybody that was doing doing a, a project throughout the North America, and now that's really not. Uh, Feasible because there are over 800 small, uh, 800 providers in in North America, and that's growing all the time. So what we try to do is survey every year the bigger providers that we know of, and obviously Verizon is one of them, and and uh, uh, you know the other maybe top 15 or 20 providers for sure, and then we uh, do sampling of all the, the the rest of the providers and so we may not touch everyone every year but we get about 35% about a third of the uh, of the providers out there each year and uh, from that we're able to track and extrapolate where we are in terms of uh, actual uh, deployment figures we actually can balance that as well with our consumer study because we can you know, take a random sample of consumers across across the country and and uh, get get a a reading on how many are using fiber to the home as well. So we're, we've got a kind of a cross uh, cross check there. But um, from all that data, we're able to then to look at the you know the the current status of where we are in terms of of deployment in the United States. Mm-hmm. So oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, it's uh, and so so we've uh, you know we are seeing a movement. We're at you know over seven million homes actually connected now, which you know many people thought was just uh, impossible back in in two thousand one two thousand two timeframe, and uh, and closing in on twenty million homes passed. So you know we're, we've definitely made a progress, a lot of progress, but there's still a long way to go. There's you know still over uh, 80% of North America has not been touched by, or, or the U.S. has not been touched by fiber, and even more in Mexico and Canada and the Caribbean, although those areas are really starting to take off, especially in the last couple of years. So there's still a lot of room to grow, but um, 
the uh, the continued deployment rate has been has been impressive. You know, certainly some ups and downs, but that's expected in any market. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that 20 percent of the U.S. is 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 using fiber or have the ability to get to fiber? Yes, it has the ability, and actually we divide it into three categories. One is homes past, which is where they have the technical ability to to get fiber. There's another one, homes marketed, and that's a little bit lower than homes past because, you know, as people go into an area, let's say they go into, you know, a provider goes into Oakland, California, and they they start building out their system, they maybe could provide service, but they're generally not going to announce that service and start marketing until they're until they're ready, until the whole city is is built out. So there is a gap between those technically able to get it and the group marketed to. Mm-hmm. So we, we track the marketed, and then, of course, the, the final one is connected. And, uh, okay. And, and we can really, you know, compare connected to marketed to get take rates and so forth. Okay. So those are basically three categories for sort of delineating where we stand. Right, right. Okay. Um, hmm. Now, was there anything surprising? Was there anything you know anything that stood out as like, well, we didn't expect to see this? Or based on last the last couple of years, did this year's survey seem to be following, you know, along with normal expectations? Well, I think so. And of course, we can talk about some of the consumer data as well. But as far as the the provider side, um, I think. Fairly um, close to expectations, you know. We have noticed that the stimulus funds uh, are, are now starting to flow. We did, you know, we have asked people periodically where they are with getting projects off off the ground, and and as of the middle of uh, this year, finally, uh, you know, a, a significant portion were were underway or getting close to being underway. You know, it took longer than most people thought, but but those projects are starting to flow, and and we're starting to see those projects starting to impact the numbers. Uh, you know, we had, of course, Verizon continues to impact the numbers, being the biggest player, and particularly in homes connected, their activity is has gone down in terms of new homes passed. But uh, as they've at least temporarily shifted their capital expenditure. Uh, uh, push to build out their wireless network, 4G LTE network. But um, they continue to be a player, but all these other smaller providers, and, and you've got you know, small ILEX are a big part of it. They continue to be strong. The, the small rural telcos uh, have been some of the strongest players, and of course they've gotten part of their funding from RUS sources and and stimulus sources and so forth, but uh, beyond that, they tend to be innovators. They want to be they want to be pioneers, and, and they have a need to expand the capacity of their system. So they've been very strong players. The um, some of the municipalities we've had, you know, cities and counties that have built out fiber, uh, competitive provider, uh, you know, various kinds. Sure West is the actually the biggest of those. Operating in Sacramento and Kansas City, uh, of course, one of the best known is Google with their not yet operating uh, system, but underway in Kansas City. And I, I know you've talked about that in, in other shows. Um, and some very small 
competitor providers too, and, and including uh, incumbent providers that go outside of their primary territory and provide service. Uh, you know, sometimes a, a rural ILEC will step out into the backyard of an AT&T or, or well, Century Link and, and provide service uh, in an area that hasn't been served with as much attention and, and has quite good success. So competitive providers, uh, uh, municipalities, public systems, the incumbent systems, both large and small, and uh, even developers. It hasn't been as much of a factor, of course, with the housing crash of uh, a couple, a few years ago, but but uh, we still have developers that are building fiber in planned communities and that kind of thing as well. It's another factor. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the stimulus uh, strengthened the hand of the smaller providers in this space as far as, like you said, the stimulus is having an impact, and granted it's still early in the game, but do you think that, th that it's having an impact because it is strengthening um, smaller providers, or is it that there are new players that came into the picture now because of the stimulus? I think that's probably the biggest impact is that you know bringing new players in, and of course you know the, the stimulus funding has certainly had a mixed mixed impact. Um, initially, many in the industry, and I don't think this is a political statement; it was just reality called it, uh, you know, the de-stimulus program because many people put off doing projects, trying to sort things out and see if public money was available and, and so forth. So many people felt like it actually had a had a negative impact on activity for the first year and a half or so. But now, uh, you know, now things are flowing, and uh, you know, at the current time, it's certainly having a positive impact in in uh, helping existing providers build out to areas that perhaps they wouldn't have otherwise, and and certainly bringing in new kinds of players, uh, mm -hmm. expanding the base of people that are do, doing fiber to the home. Mm -hmm. That seems a uh, a pretty interesting development. In fact, I had a conversation. Earlier today, I'm in I'm in um, Missouri at the moment for the the statewide uh, broadband summit that they're having tomorrow, and a conversation I had earlier talks about uh, or the the gentleman I was speaking with talked about how um, the small some of the smaller providers finally you know after looking at areas not being served you know took this opportunity of stimulus money coming into the state of Missouri. Uh, and other other you know sources have just decided to just go for it, just go into certain areas that aren't being served, right. even though they might be technically in an AT&T market or a Verizon market or whatever. But it's that it's that void, and if the void continues to sit there, somebody feels like they need to right. need to step in and take it or right. fill it. Right, right, and and that's Very exactly true. Yeah, and they're. You know, we certainly see a, a continuing need out there, and and uh, you know the experience has been, you, you know, there are some policymakers who tend to discount the need for fiber in rural areas, for example, thinking that's you know a, just a gold-plated service that just isn't necessary. But um, we found that quite the contrary. People in rural areas tend to respond even more to fiber in part because they don't have 
choice. You know, for the first time, they have a very high-quality Internet service and a very high-quality television video service where perhaps before they were dealing with with very limited uh, broadband capacity and and uh, a lower tier you know cable offering so uh take rates have been very high in rural areas and and we've also seen and heard anecdotally we haven't really been able to show this yet directly uh but there seems to be some correlation with rural areas bringing in businesses and holding and expanding population and so forth as uh you know this capacity allows home-based businesses and small businesses and so forth to flourish using this broadband advanced broadband so mm-hmm. there 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 are certainly some benefits and I agree with you there there are you know there you look at it and maybe uh 20 to 30% of the country is being developed out some of the Verizon footprint and and some of the footprint of the rural telecom uh companies but there's a lot of rural areas and and a lot of urban areas that are that are not being touched yet and and our feeling is that that void will be filled by somebody whether it's mm-hmm. you know a large incumbent or whether mm-hmm. it's a a, a a competitive provider of some time so mm-hmm. now this is an interesting issue i sort of look at is that we look at the fact that there may be um, four times as many homes passed as are connected. So for the layperson, that basically, if I'm understanding this right, it means that you know, you've got fiber technology infrastructure passing some X number of homes, but then you end up only connecting 20 25% of those that you pass, that a provider passes. Um, what is it going to be that will get the other... Uh, folks there you know is it is it is it uh pricing is it they're waiting for something else do they see no need i mean do you have sort of a feel for what's the dynamics are there sure well you know first of all the 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 numbers are actually higher than that the um the average take rate now is about thirty six percent you know when you take the homes okay. marketed versus uh homes connected and it really varies by by type when you're when you're in you know a Verizon situation where you're going up against uh cable companies like Comcast that are you know installing Doxis 3 and doing a pretty good job themselves of of adding uh capacity and and content at this point um you know th- th- it's a more competitive situation and um you know they'll probably reach over 40% uh, that's their their goal, and it certainly looks like that's going to happen uh, as time goes on, uh, and and eventually even further as the need for broadband uh, grows among people. But in the rural areas, the average tends to, or, or the, the the more semi-suburban and rural, that the average take rates from these smaller players is is closer to fifty percent, and you have some places that it's over seventy percent. So. It already is quite high in some areas. Now, they, you know, there certainly will be additional things that come on board that increase that. Uh, one of the biggest advantages for fiber, of course, is on the uplink side. Uh, the capacity on the upside is, is um, 
as high as on the downside, so you can have symmetrical service, and many people, more and more providers are starting to offer that. So as things like video conferencing, you know, high-definition video conferencing come into play, if it becomes popular for, uh, you know, families to communicate, back and forth across the country and so forth. That that could certainly be a driver. Uh, new things that we haven't seen before. Entertainment's always a driver. You know, from our consumer studies, we know people want even more definition sets, high wall size, high definition, three-dimensional television, all those things. But uh, other things that are coming, you know, the medical, the opportunities for, for in-home medical um uh, Face-to-face consultation with doctors or nurses is something that people express interest in and probably will be a driver in the future. Uh, businesses, you know, we, we've mentioned that we, we have validated more home-based businesses with fiber-to-home users, and they tout the the speed and the reliability of the system as a as a enabler for those businesses. So there are a lot of things, I think, that will continue to drive the um, the adoption curve, uh, you know, certainly in some some areas, the uh, some some of our demographic sections, the the segments, the uh, entertainment has been a bigger driver to this point than informational or uh, business needs. But I think that's that's changing over time, uh, and in this case, I think even the the wireless uh, activity of of uh, lower younger lower social economic groups using smartphones is is giving them an entree onto the internet that I think will will grow and expand their their thoughts about the ways that they can use broadband in the future so a lot of things I think will contribute to that but you know the the take rate is actually fairly good and and will continue to grow in general over over time I believe for fiber Mm-hmm. It seems like again, looking at um, your your numbers specifically, because I think at one one point you talked about the different, uh, like three or four different possible uses or categories of uses, and I look at that and I look at how people are saying they want to use it or how they're finding people are using fiber networks, and video seems to be a common denominator. Whether we're talking about medical services where people can be seen literally by their physician without having to go in. Um, <clears throat> the, the entertainment, thats I think that's a given. Uh, but then just sort of the interpersonal communication or on the business level, the business conferencing side of things. Sure. That when you look at this, it seems like video is the common denominator, which by default means you need high bandwidth and you need symmetrical bandwidth. Um, right. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that that's uh, certainly the the most obvious need for uh, for bandwidth uh, that that we can think of right now, envisioned. And you know, video is certainly a a bandwidth hog, and and you know, it goes beyond even in some ways the websites that we're used to, or the you know the the Facebook pages, websites, everything that we used to do are, are certainly crude to some degree compared to what they could be. You know, there's no reason why every website shouldn't be full motion video, full page, high definition. You know, at some point they will, and so that alone will take, you know, that transition from Model T to a, to a modern vehicle for a for a website 
will alone drive usage. But as you mentioned, many kinds of two-way communication. Another one, uh, you know, home security, being able to monitor your home. Theoretically, you would want several cameras around your home and, and feeding that video up for storage and for remote uh, viewing if you're out of town. That obviously takes a lot of bandwidth. So there's there's a lot of things I think on the horizon that will continue to grow in use and and uh, increase and, and video is certainly uh, is certainly key to that. Mm-hmm. Now, as part of the discussion about um, fiber and the need for a gigabit driven by the collective use of a community. In other words, there there are a number of applications, like, for example, Kansas City had a major um, brainstorming, sort of one-day brainstorming exercise. They got about 65, 70 stakeholders together, and they brainstormed ideas, and they distilled some of those down to, you know, where they got, oh, I don't know, maybe 100 of various types of ideas. If you look at a lot of the ideas that are there for things like, um, you know, quick you know, monitoring you know people's uh, medical conditions or their habits of like how often are they taking a particular their, their medication or whatever, and so a lot of those applications by themselves are not <clears throat> giga, you know you don't even need more than a couple of megs you know as an individual right. user, but doesn't the discussion about fiber also need to address the community use as a whole if you're going to really be able to parse out to the homes? you know, enough capacity, your overall network is going to have to have a certain capacity. Sure, correct? sure, absolutely. Yeah, and that's certainly, uh, you know, if, you, if you're providing that much capacity to the home, you're certainly building it in the, in the backbone as well, and, and that is uh, that is certainly uh, important because the, the, the collective need certainly is growing. You know, I, I, I can remember some humorous, anecdotes early on where uh, back in 2002 a couple people built fiber to the home networks in their development out in the middle of nowhere and and really didn't stop to think that they needed a connection to that network to the, <laughs> to the internet <laughs> so that one spent... key uh, missing part there <laughs> that's right oh, so wow. obviously that that uh that connectivity uh, and, a, and a good quality connectivity is important, and and that and that is still true today. You have some rural areas that are that are uh, have fiber to the home, but are limited uh, because of the cost of getting their their transport to the internet over some some mileage. So the middle mile portion is is certainly important. The overall capacity to the community is certainly important. Mm-hmm. So. Now, um, you pointed out uh, in, in your report uh, that there are ILEX showing a greater interest in fiber, um, and then probably other providers as well. <clears throat> are the providers that are looking at fiber as something new, are they expecting to build out the the actual infrastructure, or are they trying, are they they're looking at it, but they're, they're going to have to figure out where to, to find the source that will build the fiber, or yeah, yeah I guess that's the best way to sure. break it down. Well, you know, to date the model has been primarily to build it themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, most most incumbents uh, go out and use their own internal capital or, or capacity to to raise money and 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 build the system. Uh, 
with their capital expenditure budget and, and own it and operate it. But I think there are certainly models out there that um, are possible and are being considered, you know, public-private partnerships and so forth where, uh, you know, a municipality could build the, you know, the infrastructure and contribute in some way, but it would still be run by the private enterprise uh, incumbent. There there are some limited uh Tests of that are out there already, but there's certainly, you know, opportunity for more expansion of of those kinds of models in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, we certainly need to look at some new funding mechanisms for funding opportunities. Uh, you know, Graham Richard has done some work, former mayor of Fort Wayne, and looking at that and trying to look at can cities use bond money for both expanding, repairing, making smart sewers, at the same time putting in advanced telecommunication aspects, using the synergy of, you know, dig once, put several things in it, using the synergies between public entities and private enterprises, the the management advantages or capabilities of private enterprises together with the bonding, fundraising, financing opportunities of a public enterprise and that kind of thing. So I don't think we've gotten to the end of um, of looking at models, and, and of course open access models are out there as well, and a lot of different things, but um, I think um, we're still, one of the great interesting things about this market is how many different kinds of models have already been tried and will be tried and and uh I think it's it's a great tradition in America particularly to build from the ground up with a lot of different methodologies you know not just from one or two huge incumbents or one one huge government program it it tends to be a patchwork and and it'll be interesting to see what works and what doesn't now, is there a um, a lessening of this attitude by some um, providers that open access networks are spawn of the devil? There's some people who really got agitated, sure. you know, at the at the whole open access requirements in the broadband stimulus program. Sure. Well, I think you know there there are there are concerns about, and probably will be continued concerns about forced open access of of any kind uh you know sharing forced uh, sharing of lines has always been a a concern and and it appears that you know the triennial review of 2004 actually helped uh stimulate growth and and be the final step in Verizon stepping in and their feeling was you know if we're going to spend all this money to build our network we need to be able to profit from it fully and and not have to share it with others and and vice versa. On the other hand, I I think there is some uh open more openness to the idea of of riding other networks or or uh partnerships with others and that kind of thing. Um mm-hmm. so it'll it'll it remains to be seen. The the open access systems that have been tried to date, primarily in states like Washington and Utah, where state legislation required that public entities had to 
make their systems open access uh, hasn't been a complete success. You know, the early uh, the early uh, reading was that take rates tended to be lower than even public entities that that didn't have an open access system that just provided the service as well. And part of the reason was they didn't, you know, they couldn't do the marketing. They the the people that actually had the services to sell didn't have the skin in the game, and so they didn't have as much to uh, to lose and didn't have the same aggression in terms of marketing the system and so forth. But I think some of those things are starting to be overcome, and we're starting to see some open access systems, you know, growing and and. Uh, Increasing in in uh, capacity, and, and there's some great examples of good open access systems in in Europe. So, again, I think it's another model that that is um, you know could have a, a a place in in the United States. It'll be interesting to see uh, see how it works out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Just the time and probably some success stories in that area would make a big difference as well. Right, uh, right. I would guess. Um, because that's right. always the you know once you once you see someone else making money then all of a sudden well you kind of go well, maybe there's maybe there's something there to this that, that would make it worthwhile and uh, hmm, we'll see now right. one of the slides um, in your presentation is you talked about the cost per megabit and that um, fiber has the lowest cost per megabit does that take into account um, the the capex cost or just cost after the the network has been built. Well, yes, that was actually from uh, a consumer point of view, and that was <clears throat> from our consumer study, looking at what the cost uh, consumers are paying for their internet service, and how many um, megabits they are actually receiving based on a test. We actually asked people to go out and test their service and record it. So we're looking at not advertised service, but actually tested service and actually tested out to the internet and back. So we're dividing that cost they're paying by the actual uh in this case it's the 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 download side megabits that they're receiving to to get a cost per megabit received uh, number. And when we do that, we're seeing that you know, fiber to the home systems are uh tend to be marketing an internet service at a price only slightly higher than others, but with much more service in general, so much more uh, uh, delivery in terms of bandwidth. So that cost per megabit is is lower. Interesting. Now, the other thing that um, you talked about is it also provides higher quality of service uh, when you consider network crashes or the you know how few network crashes there are on fiber networks, and then people's overall satisfaction with their internet. Access. I mean, all of it seems to point to you know fiber being the way to go. Yet, what I'm wondering is, we still seem to have a mindset that, at least from policymakers, you know, when you talk to people about broadband policy or USF USF reform, you know, everyone says, well, fiber costs so much, and that's why we can't get it into. Uh, rural areas because it costs so much. It costs so much. But what it seems like you're 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 gathering as far as data is that you know in the end it doesn't cost so much. It may have a high you know price no. to, to to get in the game, but you know in the end it's not necessarily a long uh, a higher cost. And that's, that's exactly true. Pro- I mean, 
you, you know, if you look at it from a long term, if you could really calculate the net present cost of of deploying different kinds of services, um, uh, a fiber system, you're basically putting in a system that is going to have um, a long-term life, and you may not have to make major uh, additional capital uh, investment for for 50 years. You, you might have to change the electronics and do some things, but the the cost of getting that basic network is in. On the other hand, if you put in a fiber to the node system, and I think you know some of the providers are realizing this now, the the, the life of that system is fairly short. It may only be a few years, and then you're going to have to make another investment to get fiber even closer, or, or then take fiber to the to the home. So, uh, in a way, we're fooling ourselves if we if we look at uh, these interim steps. Now, I understand that that there are certainly cases where an interim step is makes sense, and and getting some kind of broadband out to all areas is certainly important, but I think if we're really going to make a difference, we need to look at getting fiber everywhere. And and I'm not necessarily saying that from a from a public spending point of view, but we need to be encouraging private enterprise and everyone else to to be doing that because our experience is that that all Americans need that, and it's going to and it makes a lifestyle difference to those in rural areas as well as those in urban areas. Uh, and, and it's not totally out of the question. You know, there are there are some advantages of installing fiber in rural areas. Um, in, you know, you you you're not going through as much concrete. You're not going through as many other uh, by as many other utilities. The cost per mile to install it is is lower per foot in rural areas. Now, of course, the distance makes it higher cost, but um, there are also advantages of fiber where we've seen some areas never had wireline telephone service before fiber because of the cost to put so many amplifiers and so forth to get to their house was was too high. Well, now you can run a fiber for for several miles and get to their home and and uh, and make it feasible. So, um, I, I think that we need to be more farsighted and and look beyond just getting some kind of broadband to everyone to look to, to getting advanced broadband to everyone in some way or fashion. Um, and I think that's what really makes an overall economic difference as well. You know, when you, it's in my mind, it's new connective infrastructure that makes a difference. It's, it's the, uh, you, you know, the interstate highway system made people more efficient throughout the country that helped, grow the economy, the same with the Internet, and, and I think the same would be true for advanced broadband. So we need to be looking, in my opinion, at 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 the goal of getting advanced broadband to everyone in, in conjunction to having wireless uh, infrastructure as many places as we can. But, um, you know, I, 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 twin, I, I do uh, twinge a bit at the idea that, that certain areas are just don't deserve that that system or it's too costly. I think mm-hmm. we need to find a way, one way or the other, to uh, to help uh, I think some of that, that is system. just people's... Sorry, I think some of that is just people's 
you know, they're ingrained with an old way of thinking about things. They need to come into it looking at it from a different perspective, both sure. different perspective in how you fund it and how you solve partnerships, how you sell it, you know, who your right. subscribers are. I mean, we we, right. we have old ways of looking at things. I think mean, that's got to be changed somehow along the way. Right, right. So it's hard. So aside from the Fiber to the Home Council, are there other <clears throat> organizations that are out there, you know, trying to educate policymakers and lawmakers and so forth about the value of fiber? Well, I think there are. I think uh, some of the other organizations that serve, for example, the small ILECs have been out there uh, trying to do so, um, and uh, both from, uh, you know, the, the groups that are, uh, concerned with uh, tariffs and so forth, and and uh, and other organizations that are serving small ILEX, uh, the the uh, municipal group from um, the the power uh, organizations have been trying to do the same thing. So there there are people coming at it from different directions, uh, and and we're starting to see some convergence of of understanding. I think that one thing that has been lacking in the United States is that fiber as a category hasn't been well defined to the average consumer. Mm-hmm. And when we ask people, you know, have they heard of fiber to the home, there are still a large number that that haven't, that don't that don't know what that means. It's it's not as as clear a category as DSL was or or you know, subcategories of vehicles like a minivan or something. We we haven't clearly defined in the mind of the consumer that that this is an advanced type of broadband that that you could consider. There may be different brands of it, different sub names for this service, but this is a category that you should be looking at. Mm-hmm. So I, I, th- I think that's one uh, area that they're 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 still could be some opportunity in. Hmm, interesting. That uh, that marketing um, issue, really, I mean, it, in, in some respects, it uh, it's marketing, though not necessarily like an ad campaign kind of marketing, which I think is what people assume, we, people, you know, assume what the, the phrase broadband adoption is all about. But like I was, again, another conversation this morning was about, um, you know, we've 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 got these networks that are being built in the state here, and they want to stay here in Missouri. And at some point, you know, you have to understand people. Different types of people have to understand what this technology means because it doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. The benefits aren't going to be the same to everyone. So the challenge from the state perspective is, you know, how they drive adoption is to, you know, is one of definition. How do you define it so that the patient who, you know, the person who has medical issues can benefit by, you know, at-home monitoring? And then how can young folks, you know, have it defined for them that it means something relative to their education or their job advancement and so forth, that we get into an issue of, you know, as you described, it being defined properly, but also properly for each respective audience. Because that's where you can get into trouble. Oh, Lordy, I think I lost him. Uh, hang in there, folks, one minute while I uh, reconnect with Michael. I shouldn't take a minute. Mike, you speaking. 
Mike, you're back. Sorry about that. I yes. lost you for a second. No problem. Um, so anyway, we were. So one of the things I was describing was that, um, as you mentioned, the uh, challenges to define bro- uh, fiber and broadband, so the average consumer understands why they need it. And I sort of went on to say that it's also a matter of defining it for each respective audience, because different people will use it differently. It will have a different benefit sure. for different types of audience. Sure. Sure. Yeah, so, exactly uh, okay. So, moving on, there are a couple of other things here I wanted to um, cover. One of the things like, that I saw in your report was that um, young people, who you define as people 35 or young or younger, are accessing the internet mainly through desktops and laptops at work or at home, and only 19 was it 19 or was it 26 percent? Uh, adopt uh, or access the internet from mobile devices. I mean, it was a fairly smaller percentage. Right, right. Well, that was an interesting finding that you know we, you certainly hear or might get the opinion that all of uh, young people's use of of the internet is through through mobile devices, and uh, that does not seem to be the case. Now, certainly, mobile devices are are used and exciting to many of them, but uh, even in the case of my own children, I know that they know the limitations of of those mobile devices, and they use them for the purposes that they, you know, they're out on the road and they want to find a location or use different applications, and all those things are are exciting and neat to them. But at the same time, they know that there are some cases where uh, a fixed wireline with both a bigger screen and more capacity is to their advantage, and, and they're using that as well. And that certainly seemed to be borne out in this uh, consumer study that it's not as one-sided as you might think, that that you, you know young people are only using mobile devices and not using uh, traditional desktops and so forth. So, so you look at the you know, national policymakers' fixation with wireless and everything seems to be centered, or a lot of discussion in Washington seems to be centered around, you know, wireless uh, connectivity. Are these folks not doing the same kind of research that you're doing? I mean, why is there this disconnect between what Washington appears to assume to be the case or the solution versus what folks like you and I find when we talk to economic development professionals in my case or consumers and providers in your case? Well, I think there's there's a lot of misunderstanding for for one part. They the you know, people interestingly seem to think that wireless is a new modern technology and and of course, you know, wireless telephone was thought of at the same time that wireline telephone was was conceived and and I have some examples of of old cartoons and articles showing somebody with an antenna on his back back in 1902 and the wife was calling to say can you pick up something at the store and and so you know mobile and wireless has been conceived for a long time but the the disadvantage is is the same as the advantage that the signal disperses and that takes signal everywhere which is the advantage but it also is the disadvantage because it it loses its energy as it as it's dispersed so it really wasn't until the 1980s when computing power allowed the efficient transfer of a moving user going from one area to another to switch towers that 
you know wireless became practical and uh and so it's you know it started to take off and and uh you know there are many real uses and and continuing reasons why mobile would be important we 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 all need access from anywhere we need those applications that we can use as we travel and so forth but i think there's a real misunderstanding that wireless has this capacity to to be the end all uh, most people don't realize that wireless is just wireless at the very end point, that most of the tra- distance traveled is through fiber networks and, and in increasing cases going to, a, to the cell tower and then the last few feet to the user. And we don't have any way, based on modern physics, to take a, a wireless signal and send it over certain molecules, you know, in a straight path and turn and go down across the country and make it all wireless it's it's it has to be primarily a, a wireline network so i i think there's some misunderstanding i think uh, people don't realize as much that there is a need for both networks we need a wireline backbone network to serve those wireless sites and also to serve uh, premises and to allow you know a gigabit or 100 megabits or 50 megabits or whatever the current need is to that premise, at the same time you might want to get this lower capacity, whether it's 5 megabits, you know, to to the mobile device. And that mobile device, given current physics, will always be lower than the wireline fiber device, but there's a need for both. And I think mm-hmm. that's in parallel. So, right. uh, you know, pe- people come, need to come to realize that these services are are complementary and they can feed in on each other, but but wireless alone will certainly never be the answer. Right, and uh, well, you know, you and I definitely agree on and that. I know you point, know that. So. I know, I know you know. <laughs> it's just a question, you know, right? Dealing with other folks and how they take it. So right. we got about five minutes. One of the things I want to look at is um, one element of your report. You talk about. Um, Fiber to the home is lowering pollution and CO2 emissions, and a lot of it is because more people are working from home. You want to just explain a little bit of the, the details behind that piece? Because I found that a very interesting sure. uh, impact uh, element there. Well, what we do find, and we found this very consistently over the course of doing consumer surveys, is that when we survey people on fiber and we also survey people on other kinds of broadband, there is more use of work from home on on fiber, and it, it appears to relate to the fact that the service is better. That there's more reliability, uh, you know, less reboots required, and primarily there's more bandwidth. So people are finding it practical to work from home, and therefore they do. And on average, it's a day a month across fiber users additional work from home. And of course, that's not evenly distributed. In that, you know, if you're a, a telephone lineman, you obviously can't work from home. But there are right. other people that can, and and some of those are working half their time from home or full time from home. So, on average, it's a, it's an extra day from home. And if you take that extra day and start doing the calculations of the reduced commute time and the reduced ozone emissions from vehicles. Uh, you know, we've done some rough calculations of 
of a significant decrease in 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 pollutants in a city where where um, fiber exists. And in, the fiber of the home council has also done it from a uh, a more academic standpoint, using some economists economists that have actually looked at some of these impacts and putting it into a model and, and kind of verifying the same kind of thing that there is uh, reduced uh, emissions from working from home it seems intuitive but but uh, it seems fairly reasonable and it's not just emissions it's lower maintenance from less traffic on roads you know lower uh, accident costs uh, you know a lot of, a lot of different benefits that are there from uh, some increased work from home and uh, there definitely seems to be a relationship between the the amount of bandwidth and the amount of time people and employers feel comfortable with people working from home. Mm -hmm. Now, one other thing, we got about three minutes, so I want to take two minutes to go over. Uh, you mentioned in the report also that more money goes back to the community as a result of fiber, and I gather that's because of the home-based businesses. But explain that one a little bit, and then we'll have to unfortunately sure, wrap sure. today. Well, there is a phenomenon where where people are uh, do have home based businesses at a greater degree with when they have more bandwidth, and the average revenue is fifty five thousand uh, on these home based businesses that we tested, uh, and a certain amount of that is attributed to the fiber system. You know, more efficiency causing that increased revenue. So, it's not just you know, the old model was you had to have manufacturers in a community to bring in the new money and the rest of it circulated between the grocery store and the barber shop and so forth. In today's model, many of the many of these small home-based businesses are bringing in money from across the across the nation, across the world, whether they're a consultant or whether they're selling, you know, paintings or whatever it is, uh, they're bringing in new money into a community and expanding the the economic base. So, and, and traditional businesses have also grown in fiber communities, so we've seen both ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's an interesting uh, finding. People need to pay more attention to it. I think that uh, um, just based on my my surveys, I think economic development professionals look at the home-based businesses as an area that needs to be cultivated more, uh, right. and broadband is the way to do that. Right, right. And, you know, we're seeing cases where you have people doing advanced video editing and so forth from some mountaintop somewhere, you know, a small community. And, and you know, that just never was possible before. Uh, you know, in addition to people selling, you know, antiques on eBay or whatever, but, but people doing a very advanced work, you know, medical professionals, a lot, you know, a lot, of, a lot of different activity that is bringing new economic uh, uh, development into a community. Well, Michael, thank you very, very much for uh, your time and the insights from your report. Um, I, I want to thank you for being here, and you know we'll keep in touch. And you know, as you and I do more research in this area, you know, I definitely want to have you know some of your findings and thoughts come and be part of the part of the show and part of our you know communication with the audience here. So, thank you. Well, thank you. It was, a, it was a pleasure, pleasure being a part of your part of your show.
Okay. And I want to thank everyone for listening in today. Uh, tomorrow we'll be on air again. Uh, this will be the first week. I think we've done four shows in one week. But I'm going to be at the uh, Missouri Broadband Summit, and I will be interviewing uh, one of the primary movers and shakers of the state's uh, broadband efforts here in Missouri. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to tune in. Thank you all. Have a good day. We'll talk to you soon.